Partnering with us today to discuss the Canadian banking space is Hamilton ETFs. And Hamilton is one of the fastest growing ETF managers here in Canada with over $2.25 billion in assets under administration. And it is one of the country's largest ETFs in the financial services space. I am thrilled to be joined by Rob Wessel. Rob is the managing director. He's a co-founder at Hamilton ETFs, and he is recognized as one of the leading banking experts here with over 25 years of experience. Uh, he specializes, as does Hamilton, in the financial services space. And Rob is a former number one ranked Canadian banking analyst. So Rob, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you so much. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's nice to have you and your insights today. And I know our, our audience will be keen to, to hear your, your thoughts. I uh, want to get into that very soon here. First, although I just want to uh, tell our, our viewing audience here that you do on your website provide frequent and timely updates in the financial services sector. So I'm going to put a link to the video here and these insights can be found on your insight section of your website at hamiltonetfs.com. Rob, I'm going to be asking you in the interview today for your thoughts, for your insights into the banking sector specifically, and looking forward to hearing your overview, your thoughts on what the key opportunities might be out there in the space today. Also, as always important, the key risks uh, in the Canadian banking space going forward. So we'll get into that. Um, I do know that you very recently launched a new um, fund, uh, HEB, I believe is the ticker. I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, just earlier this month, we were pretty excited. We launched the Hamilton Canadian Bank Equal Weight Index ETF, and as you mentioned, the ticker HEB. Um, at 19 basis points, it's going to be the lowest fee Canadian bank ETF in Canada. Um, it also will be start up being quite large. By month end, it'll have about 500 million of assets under management. Um, we are the number two provider of Canadian bank ETFs with AUM of over a billion. So we're, we're pretty excited to add this to our product suite. Nice. Well, I, I know a lot of the audience are excited to, to learn more about uh, about the new fund. Um, I have a number of questions I want to ask you today, specifically on the banking sector. And uh, <clears throat> I'm just going to go back a year, 2022. Obviously, Rob, was a rough year for equities in general, but certainly in the Canadian banking space as well. We saw what I would call a, quite a strong comeback early in 2023 and maybe thought the worst was behind us. But since mid I guess mid-March or so, the markets have corrected again. And I'm curious to know, in your opinion, what the main reason or maybe some main reasons uh, for that pullback that we've seen more recently. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, everything was was going quite well from, you know, in the recovery, post-COVID correct uh, recovery, if you will, into 21. In 2022, obviously, once inflation started to emerge and, and central banks concluded that it was not transient, um, what you saw rather abruptly was the market pricing in essentially a recession. And so it's true that the banks were only down 9% last year in 2022, but it did it, that stat's a bit misleading because it masks a larger correction. As, as we all know, the sector did fall at one point, peak to trough over 20%. So, you know, the real question is, you know, for the market was this emergence in inflation is they've discounted valuations. And, you know, it's it's kind of a combination of a few things, whether it's rising interest rates, you know, the risks of normalizing monetary policy are just greater uncertainty. There's no question that right now at current valuations, the market is pricing in a lot of bad news. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you talk about the recession and I am going to ask you a little bit more about that in, in just a few minutes here. But um, mm -hmm. I, I think what you're saying is in general, it's a bigger part of the whole, you know, the issues that the whole markets uh, have been yeah. having experienced over in the last little while. Um, the the timing of this discussion here is, I, I think, good because 
about a month or so ago. I guess we just mm -hmm. came through earnings season. And you know, all of the major banks here in Canada have reported um, with the latest reports. And I know in your work, you're scouring those reports. What would you say, Rob, jumped out at you the most? Or what are, what are something that investors should be aware of if you're an investor in this, in this space? Yeah, so it, it's actually quite interesting last quarter and even the two quarters before that, but let's use last quarter. The fundamentals were quite resilient. I think, you know, with all the bad news and all the press coverage, you know, it's it's kind of helpful to step back and, and say, well, what did they actually report? So mm -hmm. ROEs were over 15%. Earnings was about 15 and a half billion near all time highs. It was actually up a billion dollars from the previous quarter. Credit, which is obviously very important, was benign. Capital markets, which is a very, very important revenue source, was also improved. And then interesting come from lending was basically flat. So notwithstanding the, the pretty severe valuation discounts that they're facing, if you know, last quarter was was pretty encouraging if you are focusing on what's actually going on and what they're and what they're actually reporting. You know, this uh, this could be one of those scenarios where it, it feels worse than it actually is mm -hmm. because, there's, you know, there's just sort of this overwhelming of almost like a negative sentiment but what you're saying is when you actually look at the numbers they're rather encouraging so far yes yeah so far uh, you mentioned valuations and i know we saw at the end of 2022 some attractive valuations and then with the recent pullback we've seen those multiples uh, you know getting back into a, to an area where uh, they might be garnering some more attention there you i think might have just touched on this but do you feel right now that the markets have are, are pricing the banks correctly, um, or you know, what, yeah. what are your take on that? So I think it's it's interesting. So just but just to be more specific, so the banks Canadian banks trade at less than nine times forward earnings. So mm -hmm. that's well below. That's a steep discount to its its longer term average. So I think you know whether the market is right or wrong. Uh, I think I'll answer a different question. I think it is fair to say that the analysts, I think, are, are forecasting a hard landing and the market mm -hmm. is forecasting an even harder landing. So mm -hmm. I, I think, in, in our opinion, you know, when you look at nine times forward, that's really the market pricing in, call it a 15% decline in EPS estimates going forward. And, and we just don't think that's very likely for lots of reasons right. that we can talk about in the rest of the conversation. But at the end of the day, and not to get too detailed or get too boring, but it is relevant, is that the analysts are forecasting total loan losses for 23 of about $12 billion, give or take. In Q1, they reported about 2 billion, which annualizes to eight. It does not annualize to 12. So the current right. run rate would suggest that credit is gonna be not as bad as the analysts are forecasting or even the market for that matter. So, you know, right now I would say history has been very kind to people who bought the Canadian banks at less than nine times four. You don't get these valuations when there's sunshine and rainbows. You get these kinds of valuations when there's storm clouds. The question, not to, to give a crude metaphor, is essentially are those storm clouds severe enough to impact the foundation of the sector, whether it's capital or earnings? And in this case, we would say, uh, you know, we feel that nine, nine times four is heavily discounted and, and, and we think probably has, represents a very good risk reward. I would have to agree with you on that. And this is one of those things as a, you know, as a veteran in the industry where there's the, the math, but then there's also a bit of a, you know, the heart and the head sort of comes in sometimes oh, sure. too. And, and you, you have a feeling where things just aren't exactly where they should be. So um, that is insightful. A question for you, uh, Rob, I know that in your suite of funds, you guys have, uh, like I say, you have a heavy mm -hmm. focus on the financial services space. If you are looking 
um, in the Canadian space right now, uh, where would you sort of say would be a, you know, a, a well-suited type of fund for Canadian investors, uh, given the conditions we're in <clears throat> these days? Yeah. So, I mean, everybody has their own individual circumstances and, and they should consult with their own advisors and, and think what, what they need. Um, I think if you're not looking for strictly income, but you're interested in getting exposure to the Canadian banking sector, um, one of our products that we, we quite like is the Hamilton Enhanced Canadian Bank ETF, ticker HCAL, which we advertise on BNN and some of your viewers might be familiar with. It's the top performing Canadian bank ETF since inception. It does have a little bit of leverage, 25%. Uh, on a portfolio of, of equal weight Canadian banks. But I would point out that even though it has a little bit of leverage, 25%, the volatility profile is not meaningfully different than an individual Canadian bank. So if you're okay buying an individual Canadian bank from a risk perspective, you should be pretty comfortable buying HCAL. And it does, by the way, yield about 7.5%. So you do get paid to wait and it, those are paid monthly. But if but the key here is, are you a long-term investor or even a medium-term investor for that matter? Because you know, there is a there's quite a bit of uncertainty in the market right now. But if you're this is, as, as I said, history has been kind to people who are long term investors. Maybe what I would say, Mark, is the more gray hair you have, uh, the more likely you are to feel confident that they're going to recover and, and maybe look through some of the noise and, and, and uh, some of the headlines. And and we think this is a very good vehicle for that. So what you're saying, Rob, is I should feel very, very comfortable <laughs> given my volume of gray hair. I have quite um, a bit myself. <laughs> we can feel comfortable there. Um, you know, you mentioned recession and yeah, obviously if we go into recessionary times, whether it's, you know, a deep recession or mild recession, it's not good for the markets in general, not good for, for the banks. If I'm, if I heard you correctly, you're saying that, you know, the, the markets um, are sort of the general pundits are saying we're going to go into a, I think you said a deep recession and the markets are pricing in an even deeper recession. If that's, if I'm, if I'm. Yeah, the, anal the analysts, I think it's fair to say with their loan loss assumptions are, are pricing in a hard landing. Right. Do you, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you, what is your take on that? Are you in, in line with that? Or do you, I mean, there's also this option of a mild reception. I'm not accepting there'll be no recession. I think that yeah. the evidence is just too strong against that. But assuming it's mild or deep, uh, one of these, uh, what, as a, as a, an investor in the Canadian space, what factors, what should we factor into our decision-making and, and what type of, uh, of investments we should hold? Yeah. So just on the whether recession will be mild or deep, I mean, you know, we're not economists. We we go with consensus, mm -hmm. but we do say, OK, well, what is the sector trading at and what is, you know, what is the consensus economic outlook? And is there something that we, you know, we we think is relevant to reconcile those two? And I think for us, the key is that the analysts are being extremely conservative on loan losses and pricing in a hard landing. So a hard landing is more or less the worst case scenario. And I think that's already built into uh, already built into valuations. Having said that, let's say for the sake of discussion. So, you know, I, I in, in the previous question, I mentioned HCAL is a very good vehicle to participate in the eventual recovery of the sector, but there's no question. There's lots of, you know, lots of people who would be very worried about a, a deep recession, or they might be worried about just an extended period of high volatility and just mediocre returns in the markets period. And sometimes in that type of market, Investors like to look to covered call ETFs, which yeah. can have a bit lower volatility um, in, in terms of their stock prices, but in a period of high volatilities helps them generate higher yields. Um, so we do have a, a product for that. Um, we have the, the Hamilton Canadian Financials Yield Maximizer ETF, ticker HMAX, which is a Canadian financials covered call, but it's 75% Canadian banks. It has about a 14% yield. I know you've talked about it in a previous video. I did. You yeah. have an active at the money covered call strategy. 
so we try to maintain at least 50% to upside potential, but there's no question there's a yield return trade-off in covered call ETFs that everybody is familiar with. Um, this has been a highly successful launch. It's raised over 200 million in just 11 weeks. So it's one of the most successful, it is the most successful launch in Canada thus far. Uh, but if you're looking for a period where you think the market is going to be fairly mediocre and or high volatility and and you're very focused on monthly income, then HMAX is 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 something that, you know, uh, would be appropriate for a certain type of investor. Yeah, um, I, I, obviously, I, I do like that fund, as you mentioned, Rob, I, I do have a previous video uh, on that with, the, you know, that very attractive mm -hmm. yield. Actually, maybe I'll put a link in the in the, on the screen here if people want to check that out more. But um, you've got the in the uh, you've got the leverage, the leverage, the HCAL with a 25% mm -hmm. leverage in it for not as uh, income focused, more right. of the growth potential, but also, uh, you know, the, the yield on that is higher than you'd get just by going out and buying the banks. Um, in any event, but um, I, I want to go back just for a moment to um, we talked about the the bank's reporting, and one of the uh, numbers that we always look for with the with the banks, and especially in light of what's been going on south of the border, are the CET ratios or the, mm -hmm. the common equity tier ratios. Yeah. In 2022, I mean, I've I've been comfortable for the last you know, decade or so uh, that our Canadian banks have a, a very solid coverage there. Ausfi. Um, did raise the requirements back in 22, if I'm not mistaken. And my question to you is, in your opinion, uh, where's the balance there? Have they gone too far? And, you know, the, having a negative effect on the earnings is a real opportunity there? Or do you see it as being just a prudent move that they've, um, that the regulators have taken here? I, I, I think it's fine. Um, they did, as, as you mentioned, Mark, increase the stability buffer, which precipitated an equity raise for BMO. Um, you know, capital is what made the, the, the uh, so our firm and and anybody who's been following the sector for a long time knows that CET1 ratios are significantly higher or capital is significantly higher than it was, say, when I started in the Canadian banks nearly 30 years ago. Right. Um, but I think I think it's fine. We've written that it's fine. But if th that's unfortunately for what I think isn't relevant is does OSFI think they're fine? And if OSFI thinks they're fine right now um, and we can only assume that they do, uh, then this is really a non-issue. But if OSFI in the background is thinking, you know, we want to drive mm -hmm. capital higher because we think it might moderate home price increases or we're just generally worried, then the fact is that will precipitate either more equity raises or uh, a period of slower growth as the banks sort of try to build capital internally. But I don't think this is going to be a big issue, but it is. But it's a good question. And we wrote about it in our Opportunities and Risk Note in January which is if you think about what the opportunities are in the sector, which we talked about, you think of what the risks are in the, in the background, higher regulatory risk in particular capital is, is definitely something to keep on your radar screen. Yeah, it, it is one of those sort of down if you do down if you don't, because you, you want to have the security of those you know, strong ratios at the same time, there is that tipping point, right? Yeah. So appreciate your insight on that. Um, as Canadian investors, I just want to sort of shift over here to something near and dear to, to a lot of Canadians um, are mortgages. And obviously a lot of the big banks, all of the big banks, I would say probably mm -hmm. here have a, a pretty substantial mortgage uh, block uh, on their mm -hmm. books. With you know interest rates having risen, uh, there's chatter, there has been now of a, of a housing slowdown. Obviously that could, mm -hmm. probably would affect the banks. Most recent uh, Bank of Canada decision was to just hold rates where they, where they were. Question to you, Rob, um, is do you see that decision to hold the rates as sort of a relief 
to some of the worries that we might have as Canadian bank uh, investors, or do you see sort of more potential issues coming down there with a more uh, a broad housing slowdown? Yeah, so um, we can have a whole separate video on Canadian housing, <laughs> but um, I think what I'll just to try to keep it tight uh, or short. I, I think there's a couple things. The first is with immigration at at high levels and population growth at high levels it does make it difficult for home prices to fall a lot for example the province of ontario added about a half a million people last year right. that's a lot of people who need homes and i think that's you know this is one of the dynamics that's kept home prices higher and and really quite frankly uh frustrated all of the housing bears but let's say for the sake of discussion home prices do fall a lot let's just say 25 percent in a short period of time if we want to be hypothetical um mm -hmm. I don't, it's not really going to do much to the Canadian banks in a direct way. It doesn't really result in loan losses on mortgages. And that's because, as we all know, if you have a high ratio mortgages, high ratio mortgage, the government requires you to self-insure against your own credit risk. Therefore, those losses are borne by CMHC. Uh, and so you end up with the negative impact ends up being indirect, which is it's a slower GDP growth. Is it uh, ancillary losses in other categories like uh, construction loans and commercial real estate and, and credit cards and things like that. In terms of the recent Bank of Canada decision to hold rates, I mean, obviously it, it is at the margins, if you're worried about housing risk in particular, it is a positive. But I, I think, you know, we've been talking and, and, I, and I know you, Mark, have probably been talking about housing, Canadian housing and the banks for probably at least 15 years. It wouldn't surprise me if this is an issue long after I've retired uh, because home prices in Canada are high. And yeah. they, they're not coming down or they haven't come down. But as it relates to bank investments, I, I think there's lots to worry about uh, that are, I think are more important near-term risks and possibly more significant risks than home prices. You know, uh, while you were speaking there, Rob, my mind was going to the, what you just said and that like, f as long as I can remember this, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the mortgage issue, the housing issue is always part. And it, it is a big part of you know our financial system. So yeah, you kind of beat me to the punch on that uh, with that answer because yeah, we're thinking along exactly the same lines there. Yeah. Um, I want to shift to dividends just for a moment, if I could. And I know that in your suite of, of funds, you know, dividends obviously play a, a big role. And uh, our banks here are sort of famous for their reliable dividends that increase on a regular basis. And it's pretty easy just to assume that what's happened in the past will continue into the future. And I know mine, I don't worry very much about the Canadian uh, banks paying their dividends. For the most part, uh, they're pretty much on schedule there. I would be interested in your thoughts there. And um, if just if we talk about the, the dividends that Canadian banks pay, just in general, or is there anything that you feel that an investor, just as part of due diligence, should be aware of when it comes to the, the reliability uh, and the attractiveness mm -hmm. of the Canadian banks paying the dividends? Yeah, so I, um, so that's a, that's a good question. I, would, I, I think I would point out two things. The first thing is, I mean, outside of, of uh, one bank in 1991 reducing its dividends, there's, there's almost no institutional memory of anybody cutting their dividends except for that, um, certainly long before any of us were either born or, or cared. Um, and I think the, re the reason for that, I think, is actually important which is the Canadian banks, when they suffer large losses in the past, which they have, they've tended to issue equity rather than building capital through cutting dividends. So it's so it, it's not like they've never needed capital, but they've never they've typically not tried to raise it through reducing dividends. So the big Good. takeaway here is, especially in light of your earlier question, where capital ratios are extremely high, you know, this seems to take the risk of reducing dividends. I mean, 
as I used to say when I was a bank analyst, the, the risk of them cutting their dividends is as close to zero it can be without being zero. Mm-hmm, so that's mm-hmm. the first thing. The second thing I would say is when you think about their increase, this is probably the more relevant point to your audience, which is generally speaking, growth in dividends tracks very, very closely to the growth in core cash earnings. And so because core cash earnings, you're in a relatively slow growth environment, I think it's it's realistic to assume that growth in dividends will be fairly muted for the foreseeable future. They'll go up in this, the semi-annual, but they're not gonna go up a lot. Okay, yeah, uh, good comments on that. And I think back to, you know, the, the I didn't realize 1991 was the last time that we saw yeah. an actual cut. Uh, we've seen some pauses, regulatory uh, driven, yeah. not from the banks themselves. So uh, good, yeah. And like I said, uh, Rob, I'm you know I'm very comfortable with the, the the dividends that the banks pay, and like I said, I just kind of assume they're going to continue. Yeah. Uh, all else being equal, to to raise those. Um, you know, I know we're talking here today specifically about the Canadian banking system. Mm-hmm. And that's where your specialty is. But I, you know, I, I just got to say, it probably would be remiss here if we didn't talk about sure. the recent events down south of the border uh, <clears throat> with the implosion of, you know, SVB and Signature Bank and First Republic and all the issues mm-hmm. they've been having there with those regional banks. Uh, quick question, I guess, Rob, um, is what is the biggest impact that you feel that would have here on our Canadian banks? And is there anything, quite frankly, that we need to be worried about? Do you see that continuing to, to spread or are we under control there? Yeah, so there's a couple takeaways. Um, obviously this was top of mind certainly three weeks ago or mm-hmm. three and a half weeks ago, give or take. Um, I think as it relates to the Canadian banks, I think I would probably point out a, hand, a few things. The first is that as it relates to, you know, let's say the next two quarters, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think, don't be surprised if the Canadian banks report that their U.S. Uh, platforms, so you know the biggest ones being obviously um, TD and BMO, yeah. got a spike in deposits because they benefited from a flight to quality. Uh, as corporate accounts across the United States figured, well, wait a second, maybe I don't want to be in a smaller bank, uh, and I'm going to go to a bank that's too big to fail. The Canadian banks are almost by definition too big to fail. So don't be surprised if they get a benefit from that. Don't be surprised if in that period of heightened volatility trading revenues go up. Um, So that would kind of be the the near-term good news. Having said that, it's hard to believe there won't be a regulatory response in the United States, whether it's building liquidity ratios, which could weigh on net interest income or uh, net interest margins, which could weigh on ROEs. So, you know, this um, this is an important development. We'll see what happens. But I mean, at the end of the day, um, probably a bit more for TD and a bit more for BMO less for RBC uh, and CIBC, and then obviously it doesn't really affect Scotia at all. Uh, but I, I think those platforms, if you had to go say three to five years, are probably gonna make a little bit less money than they would have otherwise, but I don't think mm-hmm. it's gonna move the needle for investors today and and the banks are great at adapting. Uh, good good point, Adapt, adaptation is huge. And, yeah. and uh, you know, we, uh, yeah, it, it, I, I'm. I like getting your insights on that because, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm out there. I own. I own Canadian banks, like like most Canadians I, who invest in the space do, uh, either directly or indirectly. So it's. I think, uh, it's it would, an, I think yeah. I'd also point out for for your audiences, Silicon Valley Bank, and I won't get into the details. Was a deeply idiosyncratic set of circumstances. It was almost this unusual company hitting a perfect storm of negatives uh, that obviously shook this confidence in the sector. Signature was more. You know, it was more about uh, crypto and the government not really wanting to, you know, facilitate crypto um, crypto transactions or just the popularity of crypto. But so when you think of Silicon Valley Bank, I don't. It's not really relatable 
gotcha. wouldn't look anything like a U.S. your average generic U.S. bank, and it certainly wouldn't look like your generic subsidiary of a Canadian bank. So I, I think it did roil the market for sure, but there's very few. Um, there's nothing, in fact, of any relevance or significance that you would take from Silicon Valley and 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 think it was directly applicable to the Canadian banks. No, uh, yeah, good good uh, analogy or good comparison there. And and I know, well, I believe that at some point in the not too distant future, it'll be like, oh, remember, remember oh, SVB, yeah. you know, and it'll be one of those. And, you know, you're, you're, I, I know you've been in the business long enough to remember Barings Bank, you know, way back yeah, in the yeah. day, it seems like, I mean, yeah. it was the big news and, you know, oh, a lot yeah. of our viewers won't be, won't remember, as a Nick, Nick Leeson, I think, right? Who was, yeah, uh, that's right. The, that's right. The, the culprit there. So anything can happen overnight, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, but that was a, a good bit of history there. Uh, Rob, um, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on to the program today and, and visit with me here because, uh, like I sort of alluded to, a lot of our viewers, a lot of Canadian investors have um, money put into this financial services sure. space, the Canadian banks. And I know you, again, because Hamilton is so focused on that space that you're right up to date. So I uh, appreciate you coming on and sharing your thoughts, your, your wisdom with us all. I will, for uh, Hamilton ETFs, as I said, you guys are big in this space, I will put a link in the description below and I invite our viewers to go ahead and check out uh, the funds in more detail there. And as I said at the outset, you have your insights that you have on the, on the, uh, the site yeah. there. So that's a good way to keep up to date as well. Um, so uh, I'll kind of log off here, uh, Rob, unless there's anything else sort of you want to wrap up with. No, I, I, we really appreciate the opportunity to speak to your, your audience. Good. Well, thanks. And uh, yeah, so we'll wrap it up there. Um, as always, I will put a link also for our Investing Academy um, in the description below. And uh, Rob, thank you for joining me. Thank you all for watching the video and uh, look forward to seeing you in the next video. Oh, my pleasure.